0: Welcome to Farcast, wealth strategies and investing advice for you. Now here's your host, Michael Farr.
1: And welcome to the Farcast. We are so delighted that you're back with us again this evening, and we have a fabulous lineup for you. Remember, joining the Farcast is where we believe in free markets, democracy, capitalism, and that the United States of America is the greatest country in the world, and we're all blessed to be here. Don't forget it. Money's too hard to make, so tune in and figure out what's going on in Washington. We have a terrific and exciting lineup. We have some terrific guests this evening. we're going to, of course, go in our normal three sections. We're going to discuss the markets and what's going on in valuations. We have two of, of, the, of the greatest experts I think you can find anywhere on Wall Street today. We're going to come to them in just one second. Doug Cass and Kenny Polcari, we are so lucky to have them. We um, are then going to be discussing politics and what's going on on Capitol Hill. And we now have a new flake out, flake off, flake gone. He's gone. And and this is creating new controversy as we speak on Capitol Hill, a little bit of a panic downtown. And then finally, we're going to, as promised, discuss wealth disparity in this country, the concentration of wealth among the top 1%, the income gains among the top 10% over the past decade or two or three that have pretty much left the middle class entirely out. So uh, those are our three sections. We're coming up. We have great guests. And, it, 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 we, you know, it's going to be a little bit edgy. If it sounds like we're being political, we really aren't. We're, we're not trying not to be. Uh, but we, are, we do want to talk about economics, and we do want to educate, and we do want to help you think about the markets in perhaps a different way. I have two of the most experienced, uh, greatest market guests that you could possibly think about. Uh, our, 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 standby, uh, my dear friend Kenny Polcari, uh, who's a managing director at O'Neill Securities. He's been a member of the New York Stock Exchange since 1985, and uh, graduated from Boston University in 1983. You know Kenny uh is older than I am which is which is why he's been doing all of that uh Kenny exactly is exactly one month older than I am and, and wait a minute, is Insana older than you are Ron and Sana older or younger than you are Ron Insana is a day younger than I am oh hell everybody's younger than you are <laughs> now I, I i should I should really uh have a uh drum roll for uh my friend Doug Cass coming on D- Doug is Doug is uh, one of the more famous and legendary uh, money managers in the country uh, hedge fund manager at Seabreeze partners Doug it, it, you know has been, uh, all over the media for years he is a go-to person to figure out what's going on in the markets ah God just when you need a drum roll I've got one for Doug Cass fabulous and in 20, I think it was 2013, Warren Buffett asked Doug to come to the annual shareholders meeting in Omaha to be the bear and explain what the vulnerabilities were with Berkshire Hathaway. So when Warren Buffett says, you're my go-to guy to come in and get some, ex- get some advice and some insights here, uh, how lucky are we to get Doug Cass, also a graduate of the Wharton School, a really smart guy. So, uh, Doug, welcome very much to The forecast.
2: Thank you, guys. Kenny, long time for his time. Love you, pal. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Love you, too, Doug. Oh, this is wonderful. We can sing kumbaya (laughs) any minute now. All right. Uh, So, Doug, let me just start. Would you tell us where you think the market is today? Uh, We've been on this bull market for a number of years. What should investors be thinking about in this kind of a market? What are you thinking about? What are you telling your clients?
2: I can only say what I'm doing. Um, because I won't make any recommendations, um, and I'm totally transparent. I would say for the first time in my lifetime, I have uh, personally, I have no individual long positions. I do have exposure through partnerships long positions that I run, but nothing um, directly. Um, I think that risk is being underpriced, perhaps considerably so. And that volatility may be the world's only undervalued asset class.
1: Okay, that's okay. Tell me, what do you mean? As volatility is an undervalued asset class.
2: Well, I think that uh, I've argued that risk is underpriced because, in large measure, uh, of the structural changes in the markets and positioning by market participants. Risk is an ever-present condition. It can't be eliminated, though it can be shifted through time and redistributed in form. And in today's market, many believe that they've achieved protection over risk, but they're actually becoming a servant. And investors and quant strategies such as risk parity and volatility trending are all increasingly on the same side of the volatility boat. When that happens over time, the odds favor that the boat will likely tip over.
1: They all get to the uh, same side. Black Monday,
2: four years after you guys, after Kenny was born, on October 19, <laughs> 1987, it came out of nowhere. The indices were in a bull market. Many saw no reason for the decline. At that time and on that day, the markets lost more than a fifth of their value, volatility advanced to an all-time high of 150, based upon the VXO index, which preceded the VIX index. It was caused by a broad adoption of portfolio insurance and represented the first modern era crash that was driven by machine mm-hmm. feedback loops. And I see a similar situation today.
1: You see so, that kind of risk, Kenny? Sec- yeah.
3: Wait, can I just jump? In? I got to jump in here one second. Yeah, because because in 1987, you're absolutely right, and I and I actually consider that the first failure. I really, it's a, it, you know, it was both a human failure and a tech failure because that portfolio insurance, when that was designed, that product was designed, um, they sold that product to everybody, asset managers around the world. And so when the signal, when they ran their data over that weekend, as the market kind of got weaker going into the fall, and then that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, when they ran that data through that, through that you know, brand new uh, high-tech computer system that was going to manage your risk for everybody, everybody that owned that portfolio insurance got the same signal on Sunday. And the signal was you had to sell X amount of your portfolio in order to protect it. And so what ended up happening, Sunday night in New York, when I'm tucking myself in bed, it's Monday morning in Asia. And so Asian asset managers and anyone invested in Asia who had that product got that signal, and everybody got a sell signal. Nobody got a buy signal. And so what happened, the market started to implode. As as Asia imploded, Then the sun set on Asia, rose in Europe, and the Europeans then got a different message. Because of the blood that took place in in Asia, the Europeans said you have to sell 3% of your portfolio. And nobody, the interesting part of this is nobody questioned the computer. Nobody thought enough to say, whoa, 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 This this is way out of control. By the time it came to us, it was a complete disaster. I mean, look, I was there in 1987. I was a member for two years. I'll never in a million years forget what it was like every time you picked up the phone and, and a customer said, you know, I got to sell 100000 I got to sell 150000 whatever it was. I got to sell them at the market. I got to sell them now. the computer. Them. I have to sell them. I have to sell them. Johnson & Johnson went from $95 to $45 in six and a half hours. It lost 50% of its value in six and a half hours. And I'm sitting there scratching my head going, what is going on? But I agree with you. It was a failure, and really, the human beings didn't know enough to say, "Wait, wait, 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 wait! This is way overdone." It took the it took the fact that technology was this new product, and you had to listen to it. It was it was mind boggling in retrospect.
2: The, the, there's it's no... a funny thing. It's yeah. a funny thing, Ken and Mikey. Um, the investment business is a business of pendulum. The pendulum swings back and forth in in extreme. It, it, Kenny just described portfolio insurances right. uh decapitation of our equity right. market.
3: Right, right. Exactly.
2: Um and f- and then um, things were kind of quiet for a while and now we're thirty years later. Right. And today we have a global short volatility trade which represents an estimated two point two trillion dollars in financial engineering strategies that that simultaneously exert influence over and are influenced by stock market volatility. Um, I think in nature and in markets, when randomness self-organizes into this too-perfect symmetry, order becomes the source of chaos. We have had this virtuous um, cycle, and let me describe it very briefly. I'm sorry, go ahead, Mike.
1: No, 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 tell me.
2: We've had this virtuous cycle, um i which has led to a bull market and complacency it's been stimulated by the following kind of sequence we've had excessive liquidity provided by the world's central bankers they've served up this virtuous cycle of fund inflows into ever more popular etf past investing that buy not when stocks are cheap but when inflows are readily flowing then we've had quant strategies which have become this behemoth that in, by a factor of a 1,000 compared to Kenny's description in 87. We have the dominance of risk parity and volatility trending. They worship at the altar of price momentum, brought on by those ETFs that get the inflows. Right. They're agnostic to value balance sheets and income statements, Mike, yep, that you yep. and I grew up on. Yep. Right. Yep. We've also had the reduced level of active investors like hedge funds. The slack is being picked up by the quants and the ETFs. So this is creating an almost systemic buy-in-the-dip mentality in conditioning. And it's been coupled with, as I said, $2 trillion of precarious positioning by speculators, who essentially, just as they did in 2006 and 7, in 2007 um, in derivative products in the mortgage business, they have this precarious positioning in shorting volatility. They profited from shorting volatility, and it's gotten so one-sided by shorting VIX and VXX futures that any quick market sell-off will likely be exacerbated, much right. like 1987's description that Kenny gave you in the previous yeah. large uh, drawdown, which in turn is would force, if you if you consider this this chain reaction. Leverage risk parity portfolios to de-risk and reduce the chance of, fast, of a fast turn back in the market. This could end the virtuous cycle. And I end by saying, if ETFs get, get outflows, not inflows, and they yep. start to sell, who's yep. left to buy?
3: Uh-huh. There you go, and that's going to be the next disaster. Watch, because you hit every nail on the head, and people are just in this, in this mindset that you know, passive is the right way, and everything's good, and there's not really a lot of risk.
1: Yeah, and you know, I don't think that people Warren are doing Buffett, fundamental Warren analysis had, anymore.
2: Warren Buffett had a great quote. He said, "A bull market is like sex. It right. feels best just before it ends. Right. <laughs> we live in this world of instant gratification, Mike. You see it with your clients, I see it with my clients. Um, basing investments on short-term influences and worshiping at the altar of price momentum can oh, be yeah. profitable. But it, it, it obscures our attention from long-term trends, many of which are potentially quite adverse.
1: So let
2: me off fast money today, Mike. Tell me what? Did you, did you see Lee Cooperman off fast money? Well, that's
1: you know, I was going to ask you about Lee Cooperman now because he said the market's fine. He says conditions for uh, you know a, uh, uh, some sort of big uh, downturn aren't present. And he said stocks weren't cheap, uh, but they're not expensive. And he thinks but that they're approaching normalization.
2: He also, he normalization. also said, well, was referring to. It. He also said, "You're a momentum investor if all your stocks are on the new high list, Kenny and Mike." <laughs> right. Um, but most of us, like, oh, well, I could just speak for you and me, Mike. We're yeah. value investors. Yes. Yes. Um, and we consider private market value. We're not agnostic to balance sheet and income statements. We do not worship at the altar of price momentum.
1: Well, um, I want to see so, for my clients and, when the music stops, and the music always stops sooner or later, you know? I've got to make sure that yeah, those well, clients are okay, and that, you know, I mean, that's that's our job, right? You,
2: um, you um, pique people's interest in the intro. You talked about the um, middle class problem, you know, uh, the wealth and income uh, yeah, gap. Yeah. You know, to me, the long term can be seen as a collection of short terms. The long term is little discussed on CNBC or on Bloomberg, the invest investment debate principally is governed by questions that Kenny gets regarding near-term market and price movement. It, 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 it's almost like, you know, um, get it while you can, Janis Joplin song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like market. I think like market <laughs> participants are trying to get it while they can. To me, there is a huge disconnect between. Uh, the current market's high valuations, which in certain cases are is in the 98% decile. And we should be focusing on short-term, you know, and stop focusing on short-term influences.
1: Do you see a trigger awards, out there, Doug? Do you see a trigger?
2: I'm
1: sorry? Do you see a trigger? I mean, do you see a trigger that's going to change the the level of complacency and the momentum play? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been going on for so long. We have made new highs today. What, what's the trigger? What what is, is 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 the? I'm looking for that canary in that in the coal mine. I understand where the valuations are, but what else should I be looking? Yeah, for? I think
2: I think it'll be an event that none of us are thinking about, just the way we weren't thinking about it in, in October nineteenth, nineteen eighty
1: seven. Right. Well, okay.
3: do you do you think the trigger could be? What if he replaces? yelling with Walsh or, or uh, Taylor. They're much more hawkish and aggressive. I don't think the market, uh, uh, they're very different. Policy will change if they if they end up at the Fed. And I and then couple that with what's going to happen in January, probably in Europe with the ECB, I think that's going to be the event that's going to start to rattle the market.
1: You know, and it could be, you but know, I mean, Trump um, asked the Senate today. Trump, been, Trump can he, asked can he, him. there have been weird catalysts
2: to, to swift market drawdowns. Yeah, I you described one in 1987 portfolio insurance. Listen I remember when when Russia defaulted on their debt, no one expected. I remember when the world came to an end and stocks were down twenty percent because of uh problems with the Thai currency. I think it was the Thai bot or something. Uh you know, I, so I I I personally think it's gonna come from one of two places. Uh it will become it. And less from the standpoint of who's, who's named the new Fed chair, more from the standpoint of the bond vigilantes returning after uh, two decades of being um, hibernating with the bears in a cave. Right. I think that's one thing. I think the second thing could be uh, something upsetting on the political front. Right. Without getting too specific, I think that our president is basically deranged and is <laughs> And his dis- and and his administration is um, is 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 really dysfunctional. Uh, I don't think anything is going to happen in terms of tax cuts and tax reform of consequence this year, and maybe not even in 2018. And that's an outlier view. It's but so I think it'll happen on the rate front or something politically.
3: Listen, remember what happened in August of 2015—the day that the. Chinese devalued yuan. Remember, the market was down a thousand points in the first three minutes of trading. That was the Dow was down a thousand points in three minutes. Right now, was that May two
2: thousand ten?
3: No, in August of twenty fifteen when they. devalued oh, 2015, yuan. right, right. Remember that, and in three um, minutes, we, Yeah, sure. I
2: remember the flash crash in two thousand ten yeah. that no one, okay. no one still knows what was the catalyst. It was fat so fingers I
1: think, or something. Mike, to it?
2: answer your question. Um, it's, it''s an un It's an unknown that's going to occur, but my point in my soliloquy was, people are short volatility. right Yes, Quant strategies are all leveraged on one side of the on one side of the boat, and once something happens, um, there'll be the need to de-risk all these quant strategies like risk parity trading, and it, we may not get the sort of return that we've been accustomed to in the last several years. You know, you know, come back in the market.
1: So cautious words from Doug Cass, and I want to tell uh, all of our listeners uh, for the farcast here that uh, this is the voice of experience. This guy has the scars. He has, he has been through the highs, the lows, the middles. Uh, And he's made a lot of money doing it. So uh, beyond uh, uh, being a very smart guy, he's been a very dear friend for a lot of years. So, Doug, thank you so much for joining us on the Farcast. uh, The insights you continue to provide were fabulous, and I hope you're going to come back and visit us. Kenny's going to hang out. Thanks for
2: having me, Kenny. It was a pleasure to be with you.
1: I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you, Doug. Yep. We're going to break here now on the forecast. When we come back, we're talking about politics. Kenny Polkari is going to stay with us. We have more guests coming in. Uh, it, a lot of smart people to fill in, and, and I'm gonna I'm learning so much tonight. It's just exciting. Okay, we're going out. We'll be right back.
0: Now more with Michael Farr and the Forecast.
1: Uh, those toe-tapping tones. Welcome back to the Farcast. Hey, Boris, what do we call that particular tune they're playing there? It's uh...
0: Oh, this is one of my favorite songs. It's called uh, "My Girlfriend Moved Back to Siberia." My girlfriend. <laughs> it's a love song. <laughs>
1: <laughs> one of my favorite country songs, Boris, is uh, "Baby, I'm So Miserable." It's like you never left. <laughs> and, and probably by the same, uh, probably by the same composer. All right. Well, welcome back to the Farcast. Doug Cass. Fabulous. Kenny Polcari. uh, Kenny, you're still with us, right? I'm here. Awesome. Uh, Kenny, Kenny was uh, I've been criticizing Kenny, of course, for being, you know, like Jeb Bush is sort of the low energy Kenny here. And (laughs) he's he's trying to pick it up a little bit for him. We 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 appreciate that. Remember, on the forecast, money's hard to make. And we're trying to help you keep yours and give you some more ideas about investing. What's going on in the world? We are in Washington, D.C., Farm Miller and washington's offices are at the uh, the corner of 19th and K We have a uh, wonderful political analyst in house Matthew Leffingwell who used to run He's he's <laughs> waiting to see if I get it right tonight he He used to run something on Capitol Hill it was the uh, uh, it was actually the Appropriations committee but I, I Pick whatever committee actually comes to mind at the, the time. appropriations
4: ways and means committee.
1: Ways and means appropriations <laughs> Judiciary. On, on on spending and defense. Okay, Joe, now look, we have a a fabulous guest with us also tonight, and there's so much to talk about from Capitol Hill today. I mean, you get to a a discussion on what's going on in government and politics and how it's going to affect the market. You have something new to talk about every hour on the hour, it seems like, here lately. So Michael Nixon is joining us. Michael is vice president of housing policy at Wells Fargo. Uh, He's focused on legislative and regulatory housing finance with uh, the aim of reducing barriers to affordable home ownership. He's been doing this for 17 years in this industry. Well, at first I uh, caused
5: the problem. I worked at Bear Stearns.
1: Well, (laughs) that you know, you were. Yes, Bear Stearns, and shame on you.
5: And then I went to HUD.
1: You know, but what, what good job security, and congratulations for, you know, <laughs> setting off a bomb and then showing up with the fire trucks to put it out. That's, that's you know, you've got a job anyway. Uh, and uh, Matt was, uh, he was uh, in the office, he was senior policy advisor in the office of the secretary of, of HUD for a while. So a Washington insider uh, went to Princeton, holds an MBA from George Washington. He's got to be smart. Um uh, He's originally from Kansas City, Missouri, which means he's got to be sane. Most of those people <laughs> from Kansas—they're very few crazy people from Kansas City. Just a few uh, serial killers. Well, you know, you get—they the, have to create work for themselves out there too. It's <laughs> okay. So, all right. Look, lots going on. I'm going to go right to uh, Matt Leffingwell as we as we start taking a look at what's going. On. The president was on tra- Capitol Hill <laughs> today at a lunch with the Senate GOP, and he asked for a vote. He asked them to vote. On whether they wanted Jay Powell or John Taylor as the next uh, uh, se- uh, head of the Federal Reserve, chairman of the Federal Reserve. They voted for John Taylor. Wow. And then we've got, of course, Senator Jeff Flake is out. This is the flake out. This is the big flake out, not running anymore. And this is all going to have an impact because we now have two Republican senators who have just said, I'm out at a time when the president – I mean, they don't have to get reelected now. They don't have to pander to anyone, uh, and the president has an agenda. So, Matt, tell us what's going on that I'm missing out on, which is probably a lot.
4: No, I mean, a, that is the headline today. It started this morning, though, on tax reform, segueing from our conversation on uh, what could potentially uh, derail the markets in our last segment. Um, basically, this morning, the House Republicans, pretty united – Realize that they have a major political problem if they do not get tax reform done, and that has to be done quickly, as was alluded to in our last segment. If they lose this window and their their window they 're predicting is before thanksgiving they uh they know they they'll probably potentially could lose the house next year, and that is a very real thing for them. so I think the freedom caucus and all this all the different you know groups on the right. spectrum are now realizing that they're really in trouble. And so they're willing to forego, I think, some of the principles that have made them, you know, put them in a very difficult spot to begin with.
1: Because they have to get this done.
4: They have, They know they have to get this done.
1: Greg Valliere came out this morning. He said he thinks He's that... That we thinks that we keep the that the, the Republicans, Greg said, will keep the Senate, but he thinks now that the House could actually swing at this point. Mike, does that make any sense to you? What do you think about the tax bill and what the likelihood of getting it through? And and what what will the timing be on it?
5: That's a good question. Uh, Thank having- you very
1: much. <laughs> I get paid to ask that. <laughs> no. Job security for me. For many
5: panels. That's always the way you defer. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> I uh, Look, I'm a little jaded. I, uh, I worked for a number of years on housing finance reform, and we thought we were going to get somewhere with reforming Fannie and Freddie, and uh, it never materialized. Uh, given uh, the number of stabs at health care reform, uh, that, that, that they've continued to fail, uh, I'm not confident that they can get this through. I know they're really pushing hard, and they certainly have numbers on their side right now, but... Um, I I could see the day-to-day drama that the presidency uh, seems to generate uh, Twitter wars with Gold Star Widows, uh, you know, just dragging down what, what should be uh, a normal legislative process.
4: And, and, you know, I want to say that I, I stand by what I've said before. that I do not believe that tax reform gets done. But I, there's two points. One is that from uh, Secretary Mnuchin— You think
1: nothing's going to get
4: done. Not in 2017. And the one, the one time— well, not in
1: 2017. What about but 2018? I will tell you,
4: the one chance that they have in 2018 is during a lame duck con- Congress— after right. the elections, and that is the only I, that is the only foreseeable ch- opportunity I believe they have. They have so to this not time.
1: before the elections,
4: perhaps. I, I Just don't believe it because as as I said in the last uh, in our last episode, you, the moment you get into eighteen, it's they're all going to be running for reelections. and now it's it is a very bad field right now for the ele- for the Republican Party. Ken,
1: hey Kenny, does this matter to markets?
3: Yeah, no, it absolutely does matter to markets, and it absolutely matters to markets because I think the market is pricing, in and it has been pricing in perfection with trump ever since he got elected it was pricing in that they was going to get everything he wanted now he didn't get health care you saw the market kind of stalled and then the and then it turned right away to uh, tax reform and the market's rallying to all new highs on the fact that everyone thinks you're going to get it and then mnuchin you know Stephen mnuchin comes out the other day and and throws it in congress's lap and said the market will sell off drastically if you guys fail to pass this almost as if to say You better do this otherwise it's your responsibility and and guess what a a that was wrong but b the market is absolutely suspecting it's going to get something but i agree with your guess i don't think we're getting it at all in 2017 and i don't think we're going to get it in 2018 for exactly what he just said they're all going to be running for election the market's going to get disappointed we're going to get stuck where we are and people are going to have to reassess risk especially in a rising rate environment, when you're not getting any of the reform that he promised.
1: Okay, but Kenny, here's what I'm... I, I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, you know, the market's a constantly pricing mechanism, right? And the, the market's yep. got to be seeing that the administration is not getting stuff done. I'm not making right. political comments here. Please remember, everybody, and I mean this sincerely, I, I pray for the health and well-being of the President of the United States every day. This is This is right. one of the most important... I think everybody should. I hope you will, too. But look... Yeah, uh, I, I think that we're not getting stuff done. So the market sees we're not getting stuff done. The market is looking at this, saying, "All right, we know we've got an election year coming up. We know that it's but, getting, you know, it, it hugely contested and personal as it always does. And we know that the Freedom Caucus doesn't, you know, wants to match and make sure that we don't dig holes of deficits too deep, and that we've got to make sure we can at least get to some version of of of, of pay go or balance of of payments here right, if we right. can. So I'm thinking the market might be pricing some of it in, though. It's, certainly, it's it, there. There will be you would think some pullback or disappointment for some kind of a pullback or getting nothing done, huh?
3: Right. I think there. I think there absolutely be a pullback if there's a, if there's a nothing done. Absolutely. You I'm think- not suggesting. I'm not suggesting anyone watch out for a crash. What I'm suggesting suggesting is don't anybody be be. Be surprised if you get a a five or eight or even a ten percent correction in the market after what we've gone through on on what the expectations have been for Trump, this presidency, tax reform, fiscal reform, healthcare reform. I think that's when it's going to hit, especially then when we move into twenty eighteen. And again, I said we have the headwinds of a rising rate environment.
1: Okay, so Mike, listen, I've listened listened to what Kenny said, and 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 the the Trump uh, President Trump and. You know, just seems, and the White House leaders, looks like they just want Capitol Hill to cave. Um, it, 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 it's sort of just, we're going to stand and we're just going to throw this at you. We want you to cave in and go along with us. And, and there's a lot of frustration, seemingly, that Capitol Hill is not going along with the executive branch. Am I reading that right?
4: This is exactly what they 're doing, however, I think the one one area that they 're all unified on right now is the sales effort. You saw you know the american first pack the pro trump pack uh, raised twenty five million dollars this year that they are going to deploy all the resources to selling this this tax package. Then you have Paul Ryan traveling the country selling it, and then you have everybody seems to be on board. You have Pence doing meetings at the White House. I don't really. I don't think Trump coming to the Hill did anything to move the needle on tr- on tax reform today. But however, you do he see had them lunch. He got well, to have lunch. I, I, I you know, that's uh, that's. He's lucky. I never got to have lunch when I was up there. But, <laughs> but,
1: but Bob Corker had <laughs> me to the Senate dining room for lunch a couple of years ago. That was really pretty cool.
4: Did you have the uh, uh, bean soup? I did have the bean <laughs> yeah, the soup. bean Soup is what you have to have, all right? You that's, know why
1: I had the bean soup?
4: Because he told Corker me to. told me to have
1: the <laughs> bean soup. He said, "This is what it's, it's got. Little chunks of ham." And you're gonna love it. And,
4: you know, uh, it, it's a perfect amount of ham to bean ratio. Uh, but let me say, <laughs> let me say this while you brought like Corker up. You know, now that Flake's out, you, what you see is Steve Bannon on the outside right now, picking away at the establishment Republicans at the moment. That is not going to win them any favors when they're trying to get a vote on tax reform in the Senate. He's going to keep on going. He 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 was out there touting. He had another scalp today with uh, with Senator Flake. So if you're going to go after McConnell, you're going to go after Flake you're going to go after people like you know bob corker the deal makers the the same deal makers in the US senate you're going to just chip away and eat away at it and we're, you know politics are a pendulum too and it's it's going to be interesting to see what the dynamics are in the 2018 elections when you're going to have a bunch of exotics running
1: right right well uh, so what do you think the odds i mean so we we're going to get something done it looks like maybe not i mean we we're, we're going to, certainly going to have enough of a battle yep. here and I think we've got a, still a funding vote before year end, do we not? Yeah,
4: we have to finish. Uh, yeah, we have to finish appropriations by December, and uh, that's still that's going to be. If if the Freedom Caucus is caving on some of their principles on tax reform in order to just get a win, then are they going to cave on an end year funding bill?
1: So t- tell me what the, the most important things you're watching right now politically – I mean, I, I know we're watching what's going on with the Fed. Yep. I know what we're, we're trying – go ahead. Tax policy, go Tax ahead. Tax
4: policy, Fed chair, and uh, in in your spending. And, and you have to factor in uh, disaster, all the money that's going to have to go to the disasters in Puerto Rico and right now all the experts are down in the uh, in the impacted regions doing the evaluations sooner or later they're going to come back to congress and ask for billions and billions and billions of dollars
1: okay well, and and so now tell me uh, they're they're trying to rally the troops on Capitol Hill on tax policy, and 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 the whip process is starting, sure. right? Yep, yep. Tell, tell me about that. How does well, that work? This you know, whip it's process? such an insight. Insane- mean, we know what the whip is, but I- right.
4: And, but most people learn about the whip through House of Cards, where you know people are wound up in ditches. It's not like which that? It's, it's actually not <laughs> like that anymore. They've they've uh, evolved, and uh, so. But it's it's it was frankly one of my favorite insider parts of, of the of uh, of you know the legislative process. I mean you have these you have these guys that are asking you know they have to have a count a whip count they have to know if they have enough votes to bring a bill to the floor of the House or the u s senate and and it is It is a constant sales process and it 's always going on behind the scenes. They don't share numbers. They're, if they have numbers, you, you, they will never make them a public because then you'll see other people drop off that list. Right. So you're, it, is, it, is a, uh, it is a grind to get to those votes. And the moment they have them, they bring a bill to the floor, and then they get it passed. And that's what's going on right now behind the scenes in tax reform. It's what happened on the budget vote that's coming up this week. And it is a, uh, it is a, it is a fun, insidery, raw process.
1: So this is Steve Scalise.
4: Yeah, that's correct. The, the the yeah, the current whip was uh the gentleman who was also shot recently and just came back to uh just came back to the House of representatives.
1: Okay, so and that and and then the chief deputy whip is Patrick McHenry, right? Yes. Yeah. And and so this all starts and how long does this process take? Well, really, they try to do it pretty quickly.
4: They don't like they don't like a bill or, you know, a question on a whip, what they call a whip card, which is what every member will get, which asks them how they're going to vote on a bill. Okay. Now they want it to move quickly, and they want to get the votes quickly for whatever whatever the legislative priority is.
1: All right. Okay. So we're learning something here on the farcast here today about how we're going to get how you can get whipped on the floor of the <laughs> Senate. It anyway. sounds more fun than it is. Congress. <laughs> uh, it, it's it, uh, all righty. Well, we're just <laughs> going to move right along past getting whipped downtown. Uh, if you, uh, if, uh, by the time you receive your tax bill, you can feel like you've, uh, like you've been whipped, certainly. And that's uh, just about six months away. We just had that uh, last quarterly payment coming up. So we're getting ready to come into another year end. All right. Lots of, of going on with tax policy, and, and we still seem to have the same level of animosity. We have people fighting. There's a lot of bickering. And now we've got Steve Bannon, who's coming up with his scalp count. As senators are resigning and saying, "I'm not, I don't need to take this anymore," they're leaning out of their windows in their in their undershirts, saying, "I'm mad as hell and I'm out of here. I'm not going to take it anymore." Has this ever happened, Boris? In uh in in Russia, do you ever have these sorts of problems?
0: We have no problems in Russia. No, none, <laughs> of, none, none, at no, all. How do you
1: how does how do you avoid these kind of problems where the senators get mad and start screaming, yelling at each other?
0: We look down on the ground and don't pay attention to it.
1: Ah, uh, perfect. Uh, and uh, Mr. Putin is not fond of anybody else yelling. I think. <laughs> Mr. Too.
0: Putin, I want to be on the record. Is wonderful man. <laughs> Love him dearly.
1: All righty. Uh, We're going to come back and talk about wealth disparity. This is a very sensitive subject. Are the rich too rich? And is it bad for the economy? Uh, Too much money in too few hands is bad for the economy. uh, And FAR likes money. So we're going to tell you more about that when we come back.
5: This is Farcast, wealth strategies and investing advice for you. This portion
1: of the Farcast is brought to you by the Nation's Capital Humane Rescue Alliance dedicated to ensuring the safety of welfare of all animals in our nation's capital. The Humane Rescue Alliance protects and serves more than 60,000 animals annually. HRA's programs range from rescue and adoption to humane law enforcement and low-cost veterinary services. These programs are supported almost entirely by private contributions by individuals who support the mission to protect and defend homeless, abused, and abandoned animals. Visit humanerescuealliance.org to learn how you can support these life-saving programs. This is just a great group, and I hope you take a look at them, folks. You're listening to Forecast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. It's just hard to stay in your seat when you hear that music, isn't it, Boris? It's, That's it's, right. a, it's a wonderful song. Boris, this is a different song this time, isn't
0: it? Right. Uh, based on our last uh, conversation, uh, this song is called Putin is the Best. Putin is the it's, best. It's actually the 400th song this year that is called that,
1: <laughs> and it is a bestseller. Is it in Russia? It's, it is, is number it, one. Number one in Russia. Number
0: one with bullets, as you like to say in your country.
1: <laughs> yes, with lots of bullets, and it's 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 top of the charts. And it's and what's the title again? It was very catchy. What is it?
0: Putin is the best. Putin
1: is the best. That's fabulous. <laughs> All right, we are back uh, with the forecast. Uh, this has been this has been terrific tonight. Uh, Kenny Polkari is still with us. Managing Director O'Neill Securities, a member of the New York Stock Exchange since 1985. Though, you know, even when he was in college, he was interning on the floor. This has been Kenny's life on the floor of the Stock Exchange. You can't find anybody more knowledgeable to talk to us about what's going on there. So we're going to look now. Uh, Michael Nixon is with us still. uh, And Matthew Levingwell. We're going to talk a little bit about wealth disparity. Now, this could be a little politically uh, uh, tense, but... I think we have to talk about it. Here's my notion about uh, uh, this wealth disparity. As I look back to 1989 and take a look at how median family net worth, I look at um, the, the basically the poorest, the lowest income uh, net worth, the lowest net worth, 25 percent of people in this country have seen a drop in their net worth of over 30 percent, the poorest 25 percent. The Next 25 percent, the next quartile, 25 to 50 percent, have been dead flat uh, since 1989, uh, going up to 2016 dollars. This is from the Federal Reserve. This source is the Federal Reserve. The next 25 percent have seen about a 20 percent increase. So if you're in the 50 to 75 percentile, you've seen about a 20 percent increase. And now here's where that story changes. From 75 to 90 percentile – uh, you have seen a gain in your wealth uh, as a family net worth of over 50 percent and if you are in that top 10 percent you are you've seen your ne- uh, wealth family net w- uh, wealth uh, gain by uh, over 80 percent when I go back to 89 the top one percent controlled about 30 percent of the wealth in the country and the bottom 90 percent had about 33% of the wealth in the country. Now I want to say that again because I'm going to give you the numbers of 2016 in just a second. But in 1989, the top 1% controlled 30% of the nation's wealth and the bottom 90% controlled 33%. In 2016, here we go. The top 1% control 39% of the wealth. They've gone from 30% in 89 to 2016 where they own where they control 39% of the wealth and the bottom 90% that used to control and own 33% of the wealth now have fallen to 23% of the wealth. So the haves have more, the have-nots have less. I'm going to tell you one other stat, and I got this from Oxfam, and this was just stunning to me when I read it. The eight wealthiest people, the eight wealthiest people uh, in the world right now Uh, And I've got the list, but Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Carlos Slim, Jeff Bezos, Zuckerberg, Ellison Bloomberg, they're all on it, okay? These eight folks control $427 billion, billion dollars, $427 billion. That is the same amount of wealth just about as the bottom half of the world's population, So you take a look at the poorest half of the world's population. The world's population is about 7.4 billion people. So 3.7 billion people. Look around the next time you're in a restaurant or riding the subway in and pick out eight people and think that those eight would have as much wealth as half of the world's population. That's everybody in China. That's everybody in India. That's pretty much everybody in Africa, too, have as much money combined as those eight. So here's my problem with this economically. I can have all the water in the Hoover Dam, all the water, but if I only have a two-inch garden hose with which to drain it, it it doesn't matter how much water I have, right? It's only how much the water hose can move. If I give everybody who's listening right now $1 billion, all right? If, If you go check your mail, Boris is looking very excited over there. This is... Sounding, sounding like a, a good plan to this you, Boris? It does sound
0: very good plan. Yes. yes,
1: a billion dollars to everybody. But if I gave you just one week to spend that billion dollars, not invest it, you have to spend it on hard stuff, you can't do it. You can't do it. Two hands can only move so much sand in the day. Boris' patting his chest assuring me that he could spend the billion. <laughs> Boris, not even you, buddy. Not even you are going to spend the billion. Um, you know, I said this. I was giving a speech down in Florida last year. I think with Kenny... Paul Cari and I were giving a speech, Kenny, at the, uh, down in uh, Miami. And I said that, and I said, look, you can't spend, you can physically can't move the money. You can't spend that much money. And this guy up front goes, my wife could. <laughs> it was, it was a, not a politically correct moment, but this fellow assured me that, that his, if anybody could, his wife could. So, uh, so here, uh, what we can't do is get a velocity of money. If all those, if uh, very few people have a whole lot of money and they can't move it, they can't get it out into the economy. If we have more money in more hands, economists can achieve look for something they call a, the velocity of money, and it starts moving, and they start buying. Our economy is driven 70% by the consumer. U.S. economy driven 70% by the consumer. So if the average consumer doesn't have cash, how much economic growth can we get? All right. Mike, I've given my, my soliloquy here. I've given quite a speech. Tell me what you think. Why am I wrong?
5: Uh, actually, I would agree with you, and I think you bring up some really oh, important... good.
1: We'll p- invite you back. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's, it's
5: included. Right? <laughs> uh, just trying to earn my burger. Uh, the, uh, the point, though, that you make about income and wealth disparity uh, having widened rather than, than narrowed over the past few decades, I think, is really salient. I mean, and, and more specifically, demographically, it's, it's grown, uh, or income and wealth, have grown more rapidly for white families than for african-american and hispanic families and uh... those are two like growing uh... you know segments of our population and what's interesting is that for most american families home ownership has been the great generator of wealth it's been like a key component in in getting to that next quartile and uh... it's not a surprise that those are the segments of the population that have faced the most hurdles in trying to get home ownership after the financial crisis, and this goes to a little bit of the work that I do and i 'm speaking tonight kind of in my own as my own view, not as a, a you know a wells Fargo view, but uh, the the importance of reducing those uh, hurdles to those populations is going to make a big difference in reducing that inequality, but at the moment uh, it 's not looking very rosy uh, there are You know, severe contractions uh, from from the banks, obviously, in the wake of the crisis. Uh, There were regulations that were put in place that uh, enshrined maybe some of those inflexibilities. And um, what's interesting to our political discussion earlier, uh, the changes that are going to come at the Fed and also at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. uh, Currently, it's Director Cordray, and it's rumored that he's going to go run for office in Ohio. So, um, even this week... I didn't
1: know that. Really? Yeah. Cordray's going to go run for office. Interesting. Okay.
5: Uh, Apparently, it's supposed to uh, be announced this week. Uh, If he wants to, uh, you know, get in on, like, the funding and, you know, financing for the campaign, it would have to be done now. If he waits too much longer, it would be more difficult. So, if there is that departure, that means the Trump administration is going to put somebody new in at the helm of the CFPB. I mean, it's a regulator, so it's not staffed by a ton of politicals, but it could fundamentally change the the tone that the CFPB has taken and and while you know I worked closely with them when I was at HUD to do a lot of really good Dodd-Frank rules that have stopped the abusive and toxic products that took advantage of the very people that I am saying are now facing right, right. Tr- trouble getting home ownership it could also mean that, uh, that you know they relax some of these uh, more stringent rules that have hurt the people that you know
1: Okay, okay, and, yep. and, and so we've, when we talk about home ownership, this is a major asset class, as you said, for a lot of people, and so are stocks. And, Kenny, we look at what easy money has done since 2008 in the early stages of TARP and everything else that led to this quantitative easing, what went on forever. And we saw a Fed balance sheet go up to $4.5 trillion. We've seen the U.S. debt since 2007 double from $10 trillion to $20 trillion these low interest rates have created a great wealth effect, right? But it, you've got to have the asset to have it inflated. If you don't have the asset, you've got nothing going up. There's no, there's no. It doesn't matter how much helium you have if you don't have a balloon to put it in. Kenny, is this is this making us more vulnerable? It, well, I think it is making us more
3: vulnerable. But you also, I think, have to put in perspective. You know, regional, right? Different parts of the country are are certainly doing better when you're talking about housing other parts of the country even though rates are as low as historically they've ever been are still not participating right and so even though we've had these low rates and and you talk to some people and they're thrilled because the price of their house has gone up considerably others are actually stuck and are there are still some areas where the price of housing has not really recovered at all that's right so not only have they missed out on on the stock market if they're not invested there, they're missing out also on the housing market if they happen to be living in an area that has that continued, continued to struggle.
5: And then there are other areas where there's simply a lack of supply.
3: Right. We're right, that's right. And so the lack of supply then creates either artificially higher prices for whatever becomes for sale, people kind of scrambling to try to buy it, um, which is then another problem because then the pendulum, like, you, like we said in those, uh, two segments ago, the pendulum tends to swing too far to the left or to the right and it needs to come back to the center.
1: And but it, it hasn't been happening. I mean, we do, all we've seen is this straight line happening. going up,
3: right? Well, it hasn't been happening yet. Like I said, listen, I live in Westchester County. I live in, in just, uh, uh, you know, outside of New York City. But i got to be honest with you. You talk about housing in New York City and prices there—you know—they're going crazy. You can't wait to buy something in the city, and you got to buy it fast, fast, fast. But if you move out to the suburbs, whether you go out to parts of Greenwich, Connecticut, who would have thought parts of Westchester County, but even parts in New Jersey where housing prices were always very stable and very healthy, and and those markets are under duress at the moment. They're under stress partly because financial services, can, you know, the, the jobs of financial services continue to be tough, and so therefore there's a lot of job losses, and that was a lot of what supported kind of the wealthy neighborhoods and, 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 and suburbs in and around New York City, and so it's not all that it cracks up to be. So,
1: Mike, how does this continue to play out, Mike? What happens from here? Where are we going with this? Just well, going to go higher or what? Well, um,
5: I think a lot of the, you know, large depository institutions uh, who... You know, rightfully did contract, uh, you know, whether it was inherited legacy assets from uh, rapid mergers uh, or, you know, their own programs, uh, they realized that they needed to uh, kind of, you know, bring in the credit box, so to speak. I think banks are facing the reality that, uh, you know, there is a large eligible population uh, to whom they can make loans, uh, but those are folks that we're talking about here low and moderate income borrowers. Uh, first-time home buyers, and they just require, uh, you know, more underwriting, and that's more expensive. And uh, trying to figure out programs and loans that aren't toxic and, you know, are tricky, like we saw in the financial crisis that caused really the the ruckus, uh, it just takes more time. And, uh, you know, I think banks are working on that, but, um, you know, if rates start to go back up, that just makes it Obviously, another hurdle, I'm, I'm not making any arguments about whether rates should change, but you know, you have the market uh, dynamics that we were just discussing, uh, you have a lack of supply, uh, you have borrowers that are hard to underwrite, and this is all for like one asset, the home, which, as we were just saying, has been probably the most important generator of wealth for uh, families on the lower quartiles.
1: Right. And our, our, our farm miller and Washington economist, Keith Davis, who's just a very, very bright guy, says that we really can't see much more. I mean, we can't see continued economic growth if uh, interest rates really start to rise in any significant way. He thinks that the Fed's hands are, are totally tied. And, you know, uh, uh, as we said on the forecast a couple of weeks ago, probably the smartest thing that President Trump could have done would be to re-nominate Janet Yellen. She is dovish. But look, this is a guy, Kenny, this is a guy, this president is watching the stock market. This is his public opinion poll. He wants prices higher. He doesn't want a Fed taking this punch bowl away, does he? No, but
3: uh, which is why it's confusing to me that that he's even considering not reappointing her with the understanding that we under we know what her policies are. We know what the plan is. Someone like Walsh or, or Taylor, they may be great, but they're much more hawkish and aggressive, and it's and it's going to be exactly what he doesn't want.
1: And, and Jay Powell, I know pretty well, by the way. If you want to find a really good, solid guy, Jay Powell, and a brilliant economist, a Georgetown University lawyer, I I, I couldn't even tell you, Kenny, that he's a he's a a, a hawk or a dove. I, I would I would sort of say he's thoughtful and reasonable. It's and you almost wonder how anybody like that gets to Washington. <laughs> I I think
3: he's much more like Janet. I think he mimics her more. Um. In the sense that his view and his the pace and the way he's been talking very different from the other two, and that you know that's fine, but that's going to be the choice uh, that that Trump is going to have to make. And I think he wants to do it just to do it, right? I think he wants to make a change just because that's what he wants to do. He was
1: disruptive like that. He and shows so, he gets something so, He shows he's getting something done, something done, right? Well,
3: he's going to. You're right, he'll get something done, but if he picks the wrong person and 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 rates start to move too fast, too quickly, you know, too quickly at a at a better pace. Uh, I think he's got to watch out what happens to the market, because I do think the market then has to reprice what the new outlook looks like and then reprice the assets.
4: You know, look, I I just want to chime in here about uh, just to just to, you know, I think I think we can't be naive and overreact to, you know, what Trump said in the in the meeting, in the lunch with senators today. You know, there's there's a great piece in The Wall Street Journal today about his unpredictable style. And I right. think we, you know, he could come out and renominate Yellen, and think, you know, that is that is a value, a leadership value, a quote unquote leadership value of his that he that he really chose. Absolutely true. Absolutely
1: true. So we're running out of time here, folks, and I, I hate to stop these discussions on the Forecast because you, you learned so much. They're really, really interesting. Um, uh, you know, when I look at this concentration of wealth, and when I look at what's happening to incomes, and the and the and how assets are being inflated. You know, if incomes haven't really gone up for the middle class since 1997, the same can't be said about costs and expenses of the non-discretionary expenses for the middle class. Health care costs have been rising. Child care, rising. Education, housing, retirement saving. Look, if all you can get maybe is a 4% return uh, to live on in terms of income, so if you have a million dollars, you can have $40,000 a year to live on, I mean, that's not a lot of money, and most people have been able to save a million dollars. Most of them, I know, can't live on 40 a year. And the, and the right. ones who can live, people living on 40 a year right now, they can't save a million dollars. So retirement savings really have to increase. This is an ongoing problem. We're going to be talking about it more on the forecast, but we're going to bring it to a close tonight. My dear friend, Kenny Pocari, brother, I cannot thank you enough. I love seeing you last night in Manhattan. That was a great dinner. I'm glad we got that Kobe burger. That was a yeah, the Kobe burger was delicious. And uh, and uh, and what do you, what were those? Uh, what was the fries things? Uh, the 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 Ruffle fries. Oh Ruffle yeah, yeah, yeah. They were they. That was that was. We got to go back there, Kenny. I like that place. I like that place. A lot. Michael Nixon, thank you so much for being with Thanks us tonight. Me. I mean, terrific from Wells Fargo. A lot of terrific insights. Matt Leffingwell, thank you once again, keeping us appraised of what's going on in Washington. I'm so grateful to our earlier guest, Doug Cass. Boris what did we miss tonight? Anything?
0: Well, uh, these billion dollars come to me after the show. Billion dollars. Billion dollars. i anxious to prove you wrong and spend that in less than a week.
1: Uh, it'll be, uh, we're going to have someone walk to your to your car tonight, Boris. The money will be in a large brown paper bag. Hey, thank you all very much. It'll be several paper bags. It is a billion. Thank you all very much for joining us on the podcast. We'll be back next week. We have an, uh, another amazing lineup for you. My friend Kenny Polcari will be back. Matt Matt Leffing will be back, and Boris will still be here because he's going to be explaining about his billion dollars. In Washington, D.C., I thank you very much. I'm Michael Farr. This podcast has been provided for informational purposes only and not to provide investment advice. Prior to providing investment advice, we would need to obtain information such as the investor-specific risk tolerances, objectives, and income thresholds. The securities discussed and described are not recommendations to buy or sell, and the listener should not assume that an investment in the securities identified was or will be profitable. So if you uh, think we gave you investment advice, we didn't. If you think you're going to do something based on something you heard, Go check with your advisor, and I thank you one more time in Washington, D.C. This is Michael Farr.